So this is the first full week of uh, October 2020. We had uh, two days for last uh, podcast. So, uh, boy, this has been a crazy week. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because it just keeps getting, you know that there's going to be like, you know, I say one or two uh, twists. There may be 50,000 twists between now and Election Day. When you think about it, Trump gets coronavirus going into last weekend. We don't really have anything quite the equivalent of that this weekend, except we have Nancy Pelosi. And I, I've been driving for like the last two days doing different things in different parts of the country. So I haven't like been able to read. I've heard stuff on the radio and that kind of thing. But Nancy Pelosi mentioning some new twist with the 25th Amendment where Congress could help, you know, get rid of the president. No, it doesn't have anything to do with this election or Trump. This isn't about Trump. But he, of course, shows the need for this. But it has nothing to do with Trump, she says. So I don't know what the particulars are. But there just seems to be every, every second there's a new, hey, how could we rip apart the whole structure of our government? And I think I'm going to write something for next week. The podcast, like, like our newspapers, I noticed in our newspapers that they don't, half the time, they don't talk about the news. They talk about models and projections for the future. So we, we can't get any information about what happened today or yesterday or the week before. But we, a hundred years from now, we know everything that's going to take place. And it's, just, it's a little crazy. And in, in some ways, um, you know, it, it, it seems like it's the it's the same sort of thing with uh, now I'm going to lose my train of thought. Where the hell was I going with that? Well, maybe we should uh, introduce ourselves. You're Paul Jacob, and we're in the middle of or the beginning of this week in Common Sense, uh, which is your podcast you do every weekend. I'm not sure I made that clear when we started talking. Oh well, you know what can, what can we say? I don't always do these uh, segues and introductions very well. Think of how many million Americans. We're out there going, is this the podcast or not? Why won't they tell us? We yeah. tuned in, you know. Anyway. Oh, and I should mention also that you are uh, talking about the articles that, you, that have appeared this week on thisiscommonsense.org, where you've been yes. writing since 1999. And last week, I think I, on the podcast, I didn't mention that until the very end. You know, maybe I should start using a script. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe I should use a script. I don't know. I don't know about that. That seems... <laughs> seems very establishment <laughs> yeah but but there there is this tearing down of like every every kind of norm and uh and one of the things that uh, oh and and in in the same way this podcast maybe instead of talking about last week's scripts we can talk about next week's scripts <laughs> because one that i think i've got to write is this whole you know, th this idea that we're going to pack the core, the we, not we. And, and in fact, that I, I said it as clumsily as I possibly could, because when I said we're going to do the, this, I really mean if Democrats take over, they are going to maybe pack the Supreme Court, maybe add some states and change the balance in the Senate. Maybe if they take over the Congress, they will somehow create a new thing in the 25th Amendment that they can 
yank the president and throw him out. And what it shows, you can argue for or against any of those re reforms or deforms, uh, but argue for them or against them. But it's not we, and that is the problem. We, we have seen, we the American people have seen through Trump's four years, and I think a lot of us saw it way before then, we have problems. The, you know, the fact that the Supreme Court is not laid out in the Constitution in any decent way, and that any political party could grab the majority in both houses of Congress and the presidency, and literally add 50 justices and do all kinds of things that those justices say, hey, that's constitutional even when it ain't. And, and that's a huge, huge loophole in our constitution. And I, I love the framers for what they wrote and for the constitution, which is a wonderful document. But uh, you know, it, it's not a sacred text. It wasn't inspired by any superhuman being uh, uh, or super beyond human being. It was written by just plain old people. And we, the people, have to, after this election, reform our government and not let the people who screwed it up reform it. Because, and, and it's not just that the Democrats would do terrible things. If the Republicans come up with some new reform scheme that was hatched in Washington, there's one thing you're going to know about it, and that is that it's rotten to the core and is designed to increase their power and to decrease any type of citizen input or citizen check on power. And that's the same thing that the Democrats are talking about doing. And if we don't intervene as voters and people, and it's not enough to choose this jerk or that jerk, we have to intervene in some way. And frankly, at the federal level, there's no direct democracy. It's all through our representatives. And I just, I hate that term because it's such a lie. They don't represent us. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the bottom line here is we, the people, have to be engaged in, in I shouldn't say engaged in government. We've got to get engaged in talking to each other and taking control of our own society because the, the, the methods they've left us don't work. And they're out of control and they're getting further out of control. And in fact, the scariest thing about this is that it's not just the politicians that are out of control, the media is out of control and the public is starting to, I think, get out of control. Uh, there is encouragement when you see everything on the media is whether it's, you know, from the right or the left and most of the media is left, but it is, it's, crazy you know their their fires burning behind them as they talk about the mostly peaceful protest um and and uh i can't think of a you know quick example but you know fox news sometimes doesn't tell us things that really they should tell us but they don't want us to know in the same way that i think the new york times and the washington post and nbc and you know the other alphabet soups of what we can now see are partisan democratic operations that call themselves journalists you know, they are giving us the news they think we can handle and still maybe come out to vote the way they want us to. And that, that's not a good filter for what we, what we read and see and, and listen to.
Well, I guess, uh, does that tell us the future? Uh, I don't know. That's, 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 not, that's not quite the future though, Paul. I'm not sure you're up, quite, up to the, quite up to it. No, I'm, I'm not, but, uh, but I, I admit defeat. Uh, but uh, I see that again and again and again, though, on so many issues that we're not even in the game. There's, there's no way for this issue to end up right because nobody who wants it to end up right is involved in it in any way other than from a distance, you know, shouting or something. And uh, we, we have to rectify that. And the funny thing is most of rectifying it is going to have to happen at the state and local level. I think that's been something that we learned on term limits um, and the nature of term limits where you had to do it by direct democracy. Um, but there's other issues like that. Uh, uh, medical marijuana, and then marijuana legalization uh, sprang up because of state initiatives. Without those, now legislatures have passed them. But without those initiatives, it would never get off the ground. And of course, it still hasn't really hit at the federal level where there's not that same kind of leverage. But I think on all kinds of things, and those are two issues, people may agree or disagree. Um, but whatever the issue is, if we want to demonstrate it, which I think is going to be essential, we can't just be writing members of Congress, please, please listen to us and do something that we ask. We've switched them out. We've switched the Democrats out after 40 years, and then pretty soon we switched the Republicans out. And then we go, oh, no, we got to switch the Democrats out again. We switched the Republicans out of the House. Uh, that doesn't seem to work because, of course, they're both um, really part of the same system, which is a incumbent, you know, we talk about the partisanship of the parties, but the truth is the party elders, the party leaders, the party insiders are not controlling the party in the way that they once did. Incumbent politicians control the, the political parties. And most of the people that then get hired to run them are working for those candidates when they're running for office or working as staffers eventually or at one time or another when they're in office. And so it's, it's that big cabal that runs things. And <clears throat> I'm not so sure that, it, that we want to decide it in the smoky back rooms, uh, you know, uh, back in the district. Uh, but I know we want it decided back in the district. And there are ways to get it decided outside of those smoky rooms. It's why we've talked about things like voting from the district and that that should be allowed in this pandemic you know we've got to do all kinds of things but and and then when when people say hey they've got to come to washington for something there's all the complaints the grousing that this is dangerous and so on it's easy to fix easy to fix there's no there's nothing you know difficult in getting together and say okay let people vote from the district but all of a sudden i think they would they would realize if they considered i'll bet they have uh that'd be terrible for the power of Washington, because it would mean they're, they're voting when they're around us, not around the cabal in Washington. Well, um, that's, uh, that is a theme that you've dealt, dealt with a number of times, but that wasn't something you talked about this week, I don't believe. No, we're, we're, I want to spend the first three hours of the podcast <laughs> Uh, talking about just random stuff and then we'll get then we'll get to the scripts there's five scripts Monday through Friday and we'll devote five seven hours to each one I mean because okay. they're already written we've got to really delve in uh, 
We should talk about uh, the first one, which is thoroughly depressing, running from riot. And uh, I think, you know, if you see a riot, you might want to run. But this is about running from the concept of riot, actually running from the truth of riot. And the Associated Press, which has a style book, you know, here's how we, here's, you know, this word gets capitalization, like now they're capitalizing black. I don't know, are they, I don't think they're, are they capitalizing white too? Is oh, it, no, they're pointedly not. Oh, so it, it's, it's racially based, but it can't, it, it shouldn't be equal because uh, it, anyway, they, they have all kinds of rules and different ways to look at things. And most of them, you know, <laughs> at least a good bit of them make sense. And they're about, you know, how you style uh, sentences, whether there's a comma, the Oxford comma, this or that, which I don't think the AP likes the Oxford comma. But, um, but they decided that maybe the word riot was not such a good word to use. And they suggested some replacements. And one of the replacements was unrest. And of course, you can kind of run off the bat, riot, you know, kind of has the action of there's the bad things happening, people are doing things that are destructive and so on. Unrest is a little bit milder, it seems. But the AP told us why to use unrest. Use unrest because it's vaguer. It's less clear. <laughs> we need to vague up the news. Um, that's a great story, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, reporter, but it's so clear. <laughs> it's so specific, and it's like the facts are just, they just come right off the page to where people would have knowledge, and we can't have that. So once again, here we are in the, in the era of Trump, when we hear again and again about the norms that he's breaking and the behavior and the, and the creeping fascism. And of course, I think there is some creeping fascism. Um, and, and I don't, and, and some of it has come from Trump when he says things like, uh, hey, maybe we ought to look at their FCC licenses and stuff like that. Uh, we at this is commonsense.org have been critical of uh, President Trump uh, when he deserves criticism. And of course, we can't criticize every move. We only have five scripts a week. Um, and we've praised him when we think he's done well um, and, uh, and haven't praised every good thing he's done. Uh, we, we will get to one at the end of the week. We, <clears throat> we praise him again for uh, uh, something that I think will win him some votes. Uh, I, I think it's it's one of the things that if I were <clears throat> adding up reasons to vote for Trump, uh, one of them is our Friday script, I think. Um, but here is the media breaking norms, you know, destroying kind of journalistic norms. It's it's more than that. It's like bear hugging doublespeak and Orwellian English language usage. It is, it is saying our job is to dumb it down. Our job is not to communicate, but to fake communications 
so we can keep pretending that we have a functioning society where citizens, who of course we only tell vague things to, so that they don't know anything, so we can pretend those same citizens are, are making the decision. Isn't this a wonderful democracy with citizen control of government? And, and of course, the last thing they want is citizen control of government. And, and it's why we began by talking about how the word representative kind of makes me angry because it's, it's a euphemism for not representative. And, um, and, and so here we come full, full circle to, we also have a media problem where they don't seem to get what their job is. Their job is not to dumb us down so that the elite can continue to rule over us. Their job is to give us the facts and then hope like Hades that we use those facts to do the right thing, but not decide ahead of time through their computer models of citizenship that we might not vote the right way. So, oh, we can't give that information. And that's what running from riot is all about. It is about the media completely off the rails. Well, that seems almost the, the main theme of our time, because, you know, even when the politicians say crazy things now, and Nancy Pelosi's business about the 25th Amendment today was, I thought, the craziest thing I'd heard in a while, uh, considering that there's really, she gave no real reason to do it. Uh, and it just sounded like, well, by the way, doesn't it sometimes seem like Nancy Pelosi is actually secretly conspiring to get Trump reelected? I mean... I mean, I, I can't think of a better way of getting people who kind of like but don't really like Trump, you know, but don't trust the Democrats. And that would be the best way to inspire them to vote for Trump is to have Nancy Pelosi keep on talking like that. But anyway. No, well. That's well, a digression. Yes. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that she's third in line for the presidency. So she starts to enter into these conversations. It's just like this nightmare. Please wake us up. Please wake us up. It just gets, keeps getting worse and worse. You know, I wanted to point out there were a couple of comments that I thought uh, uh, should be highlighted. Um, Pat, uh, regular commenter, um, just said, you know, this is outrageous, basically. But boy, do we need an honest press. And when you think about how important the press is, I am, uh, I, I know I'm critical of the press all the time. I'm critical of Congress all the time. I love the Congress, the concept of the Congress, because, not because it's perfect, uh, but because it's such a step forward for humankind from a king and people not having any representation. But I want more. I want it to fulfill it's it's mission in every way shape and form and um and i want the press to do the same thing and i think it is failing miserably and it's a really serious problem but here's how it seeps into the public and frank uh comments uh to pat and says pat but you trust trump or you believe trump i shouldn't say trust he said but you believe trump question mark and, you know, Pat didn't come back and respond and so on. So I don't know how she would have responded. But what struck me is she said nothing about Trump. She didn't say anything about Trump. She didn't say whether she believed him or didn't believe him. 
and the analysis of whether our media is doing its job or not is not dependent. The media can do the job whether Trump is believable or not believable, whether he says nice things or mean things, whether he is 100% right or 80 or 60 or 40 or 20 or zero. The, the press can do the right thing and they, they've got to. And if not, we, again, this is our world. If the, if the politicians won't do what they need to do, we have to figure out a way to get it done. If the media won't do what they need to do, we have to figure out a way to educate ourselves, to inform ourselves. And, you know, I think it's going to be moving into new, you know, I was, I was at the post office uh, this week and I was ready to post on my Facebook page after dealing with one post office, uh, just how much I hated <laughs> dealing with the post office and how terrible it was. And then I decided on the way driving home thinking, what am I, you know, how, how am I going to get what the stamps I need and this or that. And I said, oh, I'm going to pull over to another post office, a little small town near here. And so I drive there and I go in and, I, and I'll forget by the end of the story, I'll forget exactly what it had to do with anything. But, um, but anyway, so I, I, I drive there, I go in and the first person to talk to me just has this look in her eyes like, oh, this is going to be trouble. I can't possibly help this person. He needs something, but who knows what it is. And I'm, I'm trying to explain it. And uh, it's just stamps, just arithmetic. And this woman comes out who I, I noticed after a few minutes has postmaster on her, on her badge. And uh, just immediately listens, figures out exactly what I need and says, Hey, we've got that. I always like to keep, you know, stamps around so we can fill needs for, for customers and has exactly what I need. And then I, I say thanks and you know get my stuff together and I'm walking toward the door and it was as if you know I was in a different universe she says thank you for your business thank you for your business I was at the post office and she said thank you for your business <laughs> just wonderful it's like there are people out there um, no matter whether they're encouraged to do the right thing or discouraged who do the right thing and who are interested in like figuring out ways in their job to help other people. Uh, maybe they like the, the smiles on those other people's faces. I kind of like that. I know when, you know, I get a chance to do something that makes somebody happy and uh, apparently there are others out there. So you were talking about a small town post office that actually handled your needs when the big town, the big city's post office wouldn't. Right. And are you making a parallel here with the press and small press or press and YouTubers? What are you making? What, what is your deal here? Well, it's, it's that, uh, it is that people can, people who will go out and do it, for instance, um, why, why is a newspaper uh, a good paper? It's a good paper because people at that paper are out there getting the information we need. Most of the newsrooms are a fraction of what they were years ago. But the good news is you don't have to have a zillion people. You have to have people who find ways to, to get the information out. And so we're gonna, we're gonna be smaller. It may be that there's a lot of smaller operations. 
The other thing is that the post office years ago, you people dealt with a lot more and were a lot more frustrated by it because it it's government controlled and it's not free to innovate and and so you kind of thought well this is going to change it's got to change it's got to change and it didn't change but the whole world changed around it and all of a sudden you had fedex and ups doing more and packages shipping all over the world overnight and uh, and everything you can imagine and then there's email so you don't need to send the letter to aunt margaret you can instead just slap an email and and then send it off hit send so in the same way we have to find ways in politics and in communication and information and education to overcome to find the new way to do it i don't think we're going to take over the new york times and the washington post and the you know the old networks and and cable news now, maybe there's ways to, to get in and, and compete directly with them, but there may be ways to get information out that completely sidestep them. And, uh, and in the same way politically, I think that's why it's so important to take advantage of initiative and referendum. People have a basic belief that in, in democracy in that they think, look, if, if it's going to affect all of us, we all ha ought to have a say. And, and the more it seems to me that we vote on things, the better we're able to adjust them when they don't work. For instance, on Obamacare, oh, it's worked great. No, it hasn't. Yes, it has. Everyone can argue forever on that. If the American people had passed that, in the Congress sends it to the ballot. And I'm not suggesting every bill in Congress has to be sent to the ballot. The truth is, come on guys you work for us do some work don't make us do it all but on major things the public ought to weigh in and my point here is when the public does weigh in sometimes we're wrong just like politicians are always wrong almost um, but we correct it and that's part of the problem with our political system is that we do things and then never never really assess whether it worked. And even when we do assess and find out it didn't work, we don't stop it. We double down on it usually and spend more money and argue about whose fault it was that it didn't work. And, and I'm just suggesting the more the public is engaged, the more the blame isn't on this party or that party, it's the, the voters. And so we have to blame ourselves and say, okay, how do we fix it? We're not invested in the same, you know, our careers aren't as voters. We don't, we don't have to get thrown out of our home because we, we made a bad vote. Uh, like a, a politician hopefully would get thrown out from making a bad vote. So, so that, yeah. that's part of the point with the post office, which. Uh, we, well, that's an interesting uh, problem. Of course, you mentioned Obamacare, and, I, and every time it comes up, I always remind my friends who many of them really liked, you know, they would like the idea of Obamacare. And I mentioned, well, you know, in one year, my insurance policy doubled in price. Uh, and I says, that was not exactly part of the deal you guys kept on telling me. And so that kind of bugged me. And then they wanted to blame, you know, who do you blame? We were just saying that if, if we enacted it, and by the way, the majority of the Americans were against it when it was yes, floated yes. around. Yes. And, the, and the Democrats pushed it through when they got their slim majorities in the House and Senate and so forth for that brief period of time with Obama. But, 
And, it, and people should remember too that the Senate passed a version that had some problems and it was going to be fixed in the House and sent back to the Senate to fix those problems. But the Democrats lost their filibuster-proof 60-vote majority because Ted Kennedy died. And in Massachusetts, the Democrats couldn't elect a Democrat to take his place. They elected a Republican. And so that's, that's why the House ended up passing what the Senate had passed, because it was the only thing they could get through. And it did have some real problems in it. Not that, not that if they'd done it a different way, it wouldn't have still had a bunch of real problems in it. But, but I just always think that history is kind of interesting because, one, it's the only time in recent decades that a political party has had all three branches with the Senate being filibuster proof. That's a big difference. And, um, and, uh, and I think they accomplished so little. I mean, they were going to tackle immigration. They did nothing on it. They were going to do all kinds of things. And the only thing they did was Obamacare. And it was not done well. And it was not popular when it passed. And of course, it's more popular now. They're subsidizing insurance for a lot of people. Uh, you know, if someone sends me money in the mail, you know, I'm going to, I'll probably send you a thank you note. I mean, it's a nice thing to do. And, and in essence, of course, anytime the government decides a new program is going to give people benefits, the people who get those benefits are going to like them. Um, the part of the problem, though, is Obamacare is producing lots of insurance that it seems to me is very difficult for people to use unless they have, you know, the six or the eight thousand dollars sitting around to take care of the deductible. Uh, a lot of those plans, you know, you've you've got to pay that kind of money or more before it's going to kick in and, and cover things. So, you know, it, it may be better than having no insurance, but in essence, there's no, there's no real kind of recognition that producing insurance is different than producing actual medical care to somebody. And the insurance has to be effective if they're going to use it to get actual medical care. And so, you know, the fact that we've insured a bunch of people doesn't mean that they're necessarily getting the care they need. And I, of course, blame this bad government all around. Uh, but the Pope, in your Tuesday piece, <laughs> doesn't blame government all around. He blames capitalism for everything, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And, and in this piece, we have a comment from Tom Knapp, who's a, who's a pretty regular commenter and, and uh, sometimes agrees, sometimes disagrees. More disagrees, but, I mean, our politics are probably, uh, you know, a sliver different, but boy, we, we find that sliver. Anyway, um, here he takes issue, and the reason I bring it up right off the bat is he takes issue with us calling it capitalism. And, uh, and you know, people have different definitions, uh, and of course, words are constantly changing um, in, in, in ways to make them more and more vague. Uh, but what I mean by capitalism is the right of a person to associate with other people, to trade with them, to produce materials, to take every economic step, activity in a free way, uh, obviously not allowed to encroach on someone else's property, you know, can't, you can't build a, a chemical plant next door to people and they get poisoned and say, oh shucks, uh, you know, you have property rights, people have their own rights, but 
but a free market. And I tend to use the term free market more, but I also, I also think capitalism is a, is a good word for that in that most people, that's what they mean, I think, by capitalism. And there's this anti-capital, like you can have a free market, but boy, if someone amassed too much capital, that'd be a horrible thing. And I like capital. And I like when people amass it because sometimes, you know, one of the values in having government is sometimes there are things that, that are big that need to be done that no individual wealthy person could do by themselves. Like you think of how wealthy uh, Bill Gates is, but you know, they're passing bills in Congress where they're spending a hundred billion dollars and it's no big deal. And I don't even know what he's worth. I think he's worth more than a hundred billion at this point. I, I don't know. I'm, I may be wrong about that, but it's not much more than that. And so it's not like Bill Gates could run the federal government for a day. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, the, the idea of people accumulating so much capital that they can just do anything is pretty ridiculous. It's like people talking about how Soros buys his, you know, buys the government and gets his policy. Uh, and then you hear him say the Cokes, you know, they, they, uh, Charles Koch now is, uh, is spending money and buying the government. And then you look at the government we have and you see how many, uh, you know, how, how, ineffective unfortunately uh in coke's case more than soros but in 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 both cases they're not that effective they don't control the government um so i think that the fears of wealthy people controlling everything are overblown and i think that the understanding that we do want the accumulation of capital so that individual people can invest in big ideas um if if someone's just making enough to to eat they can't help me do some of the things i want to do i'm constantly looking for people to invest in political activity and i happen to need people who have money um, now i also need people who don't who can be active and go do things on a volunteer basis uh, or even on a paid basis um, but you can't you can't do the stuff on a paid basis if you don't have somebody paying. And so this anti-rich uh, attitude is, is, it's just stupid in so many ways. And it's unfair in so many ways, because as I point out in this piece, you know, the, he, the Pope basically says the marketplace, this is a quote, the marketplace by itself cannot resolve every problem. Now, who in their right mind has ever uttered those words that somehow the marketplace can solve every problem. So of course he sets up a straw man in, in the first place, but he also then goes on to say that capitalism quote, does not resolve the inequality that gives rise to new forms of violence. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put any words in the pontiff's mouth, but that strikes me as a justification for violence. And violence is not justified. Um, and, and it's, it seems to be suggesting that, Hey, if someone has a whole lot more than you do, 
Well, then uh, how could we be surprised that they're committing violent acts against you? That's not the, you know, I'm not a, a Roman Catholic. I, will, I was reared in the Roman Catholic Church. Even as a non-Catholic, I have a ton of respect for uh, the good parts of that religion. I don't agree with all of it, but, uh, you know, belief in life, a belief in the worth of every human being. Um, and it just, you know, this idea, I just have never heard a, a I guess, I guess the, uh, what is it? Well, we, we talked about it the other day, Tim, um, and I'm going to forget it. And I came up with the, with the name for it, but both of us were struggling uh, with the theology. What is it? It's uh, liberation theology liberation theology. So I guess, I guess maybe it's out of that sort of school that, that somehow Jesus came to the earth, you know, was the son of man, son of God and uh, made man. And, and what he was here to do was not to say what he said, but to lay the groundwork for a Marxist revolution, you know, maybe a, a millennia or two uh, uh, forward. Somehow, I don't think that that makes sense to me. But but anyway, this uh, this I think is a um, uh, it it feeds into a um, you know this this whole narrative that that wealth is bad, and you have to you have to remember that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And one of the things that we've talked about, I think last week we talked about it a little bit, was that uh, COVID and the shutdowns, one of the fears that we've expressed really several times, I know, and, and privately off the podcast with each other, um, is the fear that there's just starvation. And, and we point out, um, you know, that the UN uh, has, has said that they're very, very concerned with starvation in the third world because the first world is shut down and not producing the wealth that allows us to feed uh, people in the third world and to have charity. And it's, you know, years ago, Paul Songus, uh, a very sensible Democrat who didn't beat Bill Clinton, unfortunately, uh, because he would have been, I think, a good president. But Paul Songus said, as a liberal Democrat from Massachusetts, you cannot, out of one side of your mouth, say that you believe in workers and labor and then slap business because they workers without the business. And that's just common sense. That's not some far-right extremism, but it almost seems like it today. And, um, and, and for the Pope to, to feed into all that is just... It's just, it's sad. Um, and you know, it, it is funny, it, it, it's funny though, you notice how the, the Catholic Church gets hit and the Pope gets hit on certain issues that they're just, you know, terrible. And then on, on this issue, he's, he's brilliant. Um, and it kind of shows the lens that, that uh, is focusing on, on these sorts of actions. Yeah, and you mentioned in your piece that... Uh, the Pope focused also on the pandemic and how capitalism, you know, wasn't really resolving that or couldn't possibly resolve it. 
and that the problems caused by the virus are somehow capitalism's fault when the real problem of production and, and markets and everything right now is caused by they're being shut down by governments, not because capitalism has been allowed to flourish. I mean, it's a, it, it's, it, there's a lot of non sequiturs. Nearly everything the Pope said that you quoted, I don't know what else he said. I didn't read what he said, uh, but it was certainly full of non sequiturs and kind of silly, silly, silly people's talk. Yes, yes. If he wasn't the Pope, they would have said, no, you, no we don't take op eds like this. I wish they'd say that. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not sure I'm quite as confident as you are on that one. And in fact, you're not that confident either. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Oh, oh, I, by the way, on the subject of capitalism, uh, I'm not with Tom Knapp's uh, uh, opinions on that subject, largely because I've written about this extensively. So if anybody ever, ever wanted to... Uh, to consult it, you can contact me and I'll point you to about dozens of articles where I've defined, there's a reason why we define capitalism in terms of free markets. Uh, even though most, all examples we've known are mixed economies. And that's what the NAPS, one of his points was, is that uh, right, we, we've right. only known mixed economies. Well, that's true, but the capitalist part of the system is the private property and markets and markets for a, a production goods and consumer goods and mass production for the masses is the, is the key point that Mises pointed out in, in, in his essay, Liberty and Property. And, uh, and there's a reason why capitalism is called, is identified with that and not with all the government stuff. The government gets identified with something else and there are reasons for that. And so I, I'm not so, I don't, I don't object to the word capitalism and uh, though I don't use it that often because people get confused. But yeah, the, the I, I, I but tend to use free markets as well. Yeah. But 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 of course, uh, usually when someone is attacking, they don't use the term free market right. because, of course, almost everyone instinctively thinks that a market should be free. Yeah, yeah. Um, as it the, should. Right. And by the way, the title of the piece was uh, Papitalism, which is... I yeah, <laughs> <play> on the words. <laughs> well, on Wednesday, we talked about the really slow, fast COVID nineteen test, and uh, and this is a you know this is an, a, kind of instructive about how I think you have to you have to listen carefully to the news and and look at different sides and read different opinions and so on. But um, throughout this pandemic, the FDA has been on the hot seat um, and, the, and the Centers for Disease Control and so on, coming up with, you know, what makes sense and what doesn't. And I think we've learned that just like for us, we don't know what we don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And there's there's a limit to their information and as soon as it gets it's like when, when you're talking about cancer patients who are dying not able to use experimental drugs there's a general i think buy-in to the oh the fda is making sure everything's safe and that's good we want everything to be safe but of course life is never quite that simple <clears throat> This is a drug that we don't know is safe or not yet, but I want to take it because I'm dying and I think it might just help me live. Who is, who is the government? Who is anybody to step in and say, no, 
you don't get a chance. You don't get to risk your life, even though we know you're dying and it, and it might help you. And so um, there's, there is some sense to, obviously we want things to be tested. It doesn't have to be the government that tests them and, and let people be free to make their own decisions. But we're seeing more and more of that with this pandemic that, hey, you got to move this faster. Well, we need more tests. And what people don't tend to, oh, we have a test. And so now everyone can be tested. And of course the error rate is zero because it's a test and it works. And it, but they, we don't have any tests that have an error rate of zero. And we have some tests that take a long time. And that's kind of a problem if, hey, I just tested and now I have to wait, what, six days, not knowing whether I have it or not. I can't go do this or, or if I do go, I could have it. That's a big problem. So what's happened is there's a test that has a higher error rate, but is a much faster test. You can get the results right away. And the FDA decided in their infinite wisdom, because they should let these things be, be used, to allow its use. And, um, and so hooray, hooray, the FDA got out of the way and said, you can use this test even though it has a higher error rate. We'll just inform people, and if they need a quick test and they're willing to live with that error rate, then they can use this one. Except, as uh, James Anthony with, the, with FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, points out that this isn't, they didn't open it up for everybody. They've opened it up only in very select places where you know it's a it's a recognized lab that can that can do it and so on, and so again, they've embraced a little bit of freedom, but not the sort of freedom to let people actually fully make their own decisions. And you know, throughout this, I just again and again I see freedom is a better way to go. People will make mistakes but they will make small mistakes. They will make their own mistakes. They won't be forced to live with someone else's big mistakes. And that's part of the problem. And that's this whole pandemic from the get-go, you had China hiding what was going on. And you had them hiding it because they have a top-down totalitarian and vicious mean system and so the doctor who was saying hey we got a problem was dragged in front of some people to be talked to kind of like an interrogation and told to shut his mouth and then of course he ended up dying of covid that's a huge problem and of course who has done best in the in in this well it was the the island nation right next to China, that kind of knows not to trust China too much, that used a free population, kind of communicating with each other about who had had contact. Uh, you know, I was wondering, was there some draconian thing behind the contact tracing that they were doing in Taiwan? There's no law that says you have to respond to them. They had people who responded because they were asked to respond. And because they have some uh, esprit de corps, uh, which would be nice for 
America to, to mobilize as much of that as possible. And um, so this virus, this pandemic has been an illustration in my mind of how totalitarianism, big government, top-down solutions aren't solutions at all. They're huge problems. And will occasionally the top-down solution be, oh, we had some smart guy who got, got it right? Sure. But it's also going to be the dumb guy who didn't get it right and who tells you you don't have any choice about whether to live with that decision or not rather than allowing people to make their own decisions. And I say that because also in the shutdowns, um, I, we've pointed this out uh, months ago, but I haven't talked about it in recent times, but we wanted every businessman in America thinking about how they could healthfully, safely operate their business. It would have been, if, if I had been a governor, I would have said, here are the facts we know. Here is what our best people are, are advising with some educated guesses. And that's what they are is educated guesses because this is a brand new thing. We think you know, masks are good or they're not good or you, you say what you think they should do. And you ask people to, to reach down for the best in them to do what's right for them, for their families, for their customers, for their neighbors, for their employees. Um, and yes, that of everybody. And then you allow them to be free to make decisions. You would have had every businessman and, and frankly, workers too. Please advise your boss what's happening in, in your daily workday that is healthy or not healthy. And let's maximize the healthy and get rid of the unhealthy. In other words, you ask people to step forward voluntarily and you don't force them to i think we would have i think we would have had all kinds of businesses saved because they would have figured out how to do it safely um going in going you know letting customers in when it's not safe you know businessmen they might want to make money but they they also recognize risk that's why they insure things that's why they have you know uh uh not only insurance, but attorneys who might advise them that, oh yeah, they could sue you if you, you know, spread COVID all over the place. And the truth is most of the enforcement of mask wearing is coming from the private sector. Now I know I, I usually make a run to Starbucks every day and I still get to that front door and start to open it when I realize, oh, my mask is back in the car. And I go back to the car and get it. And I do that because I, I'm, you know, I don't know that the mask really helps, but it doesn't seem to hurt. And if it does, if it could possibly help, then I wear it. And my best guess is it doesn't really help much at all, if, if at all. Um, but big deal, big deal. And some people know they hate to wear them. Okay, well, that's fine too. It's a free country or should be. And, but it, it is the private sector that is for the most part enforcing it and is able to enforce it. So, and, and the truth is that there are times I've walked into Starbucks without, and I didn't realize it when I walked in and they know me well enough. I would think they would say something, but they haven't said something. And then I figured it out and I've gone. And so the enforcement's going to be hit or miss, but it's, you couldn't put, you couldn't have enough cops. 
to force everybody to wear their mask. You have to depend on people rising up and saying, I'm going to do it voluntarily. Yeah, we could have a big argument about this one because I stopped wearing masks quite a while ago. I am now in complete revolt. Uh, so that's a, that's a long conversation, probably not for the moment. No, no, it isn't. But, but the argument isn't about masks. The argument is about freedom. And, and the truth is, you, know, you might go to town and some, some store says, and they probably wouldn't say this because they're mandated, but, um, but says, oh, that's fine. And then a couple customers say, oh, I don't feel very comfortable about that. And they, maybe they change their mind. Maybe they don't. That's the give and take. Maybe the, the place next door forces everyone to wear a mask and is very diligent about it. And, and maybe a couple customers leave there because they don't like that, but they gain in the end. It's that give and take is how we reach a decision in the same way that we've talked about the give and take about what the cure is and what this medical procedure or, or drug is going to do. If you start shutting that down on YouTube or somewhere else, you don't help find the solution you heard. And not just because you shut down somebody who is saying the truth, you start shutting down people who aren't saying the truth and you're gonna err. And you're gonna, you're gonna not have that challenge to the authorities that they can say, wait, no, let us explain to you why what so-and-so on YouTube is saying is wrong. Because if they can't explain it to us, we're not gonna believe them. And, and we have to have that give and take. The, the moment that we feel that our news is being censored is when conspiracy theories thrive because something's going on and they won't tell us the truth. And frankly, that's where we are. That's why I think there are so many conspiracy theories because the, 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 the stories we're being told are true. Something else happened. And it certainly could be a conspiracy. And in fact, it may not be a conspiracy what happened, but the fact that we're not being told about it sounds a little bit like a conspiracy. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that lots of people have the same narrative and they're smart and they realize that this story maybe needs to be told this way, in a vague way that won't tip people off to some of the problems. Well, there you're calling back the Monday script. But you're yes. also foreshadowing Thursdays, which is about Q, QAnon, uh, which you've not talked about very much before. In fact, have you ever mentioned it before? I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember doing a script on it, although um, it, it's, a, it's a heck of a phenomenon that, and, and so much now is everything's a conspiracy theory and everything's been debunked and and they've got a completely crazy conspiracy theory. The only thing that gives it any credence is the fact that the media plays it up and now the Congress is playing it up. By the Congress looking into this and having some of, you know, a official, uh, you know, statement that it's, it's, you know, it's all false is, is crazy. And, and of course they want to investigate these people and good old Justin Amash points out, uh, these are people who believe that the deep state 
is involved in like pedophilia rings and all kinds of weird killings and and sickness and so on. Okay, and get, to, get to the part that's that's crazy. I haven't, you haven't told me. <laughs> <that part. laughs> no, and, and and so he points out that maybe you would kind of feed into that if you're going to come after them and investigate them instead of investigate, you know, the pedophilia rings and so on. Now, it should be pointed out that, you know, some people have taken this, this uh, conspiracy theory to extremes. I shouldn't say some people. One person who went and shot and I believe killed somebody in the, uh, in the one pizza place in D.C. that supposedly in the basement, what was it? it you, you may straighten me out, but I think it was in the basement of that is where, you know, was the access to Hillary Clinton's uh, pedophilia headquarters or something. Oh, well, the whole Pizzagate thing? Yeah. That yes. Was, that, yes. That's, that was, I mean, you know, it sounds just absolutely crazy until, you, until the point you realize that John Podesta and the people who wrote all these crazy things in their emails have never explained what they really meant. You know, the, the, the leaked emails that are on Wiki, uh, uh, WikiLeaks, you can look at them, you can read them. And then you look at people who say that, you know, this is code word for pedophilia and for, you know, having sex with minors and so forth. Well, they've never explained it. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say about all that. But, you know, the context that I look at when somebody accuses, you know, QAnon for inspiring one or two murders, let's say that's the case. Um, well, we have Congress people who've inspired riots. Not only will they not condemn it, but we've actually had Congress women, you know, Maxine Waters, saying that, that members of the... Uh, Trump administration need to be hounded in their homes and on the streets and in restaurants. And so the, all the violence of this summer was ramped up by politicians in Congress, sitting politicians, and they're complaining about QAnon's conspiracy theories. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make much well, sense that, to me. It, it doesn't make sense. And it, and it, you, you cannot blame, you cannot blame violence on other people saying that violence is okay. A million people can say violence is okay. It's still not okay to do it. Um, and you, so you can't blame, blame QAnon for having a crazy conspiracy theory and then somebody runs off and does some horrible violent act. Now, you can blame them for having a crazy conspiracy theory, just like you can blame Maxine Waters for suggesting that rioting is okay. Or that it's some sort of, you know, really great political, you know, dialogue. Uh, people should be held to account for what they say, but they shouldn't be held to account for what somebody else is, does because of what they say. Well, and, there is incitement to riot, and Maxine Waters was very close to incitement to riot. I would say she was like a, a legal hair breaths away. I don't think so. I don't think so. Here's why. She, in, in, in common parlance, is that the word? Um, I think that would be true. She was inciting it in, in a common usage of that term, maybe. But I don't believe in the legal usage of that term because I think for it to be legally convictable that you incited a riot, it has to you. The people have to be right there rioting. Exactly. And you have to. Exactly. You have to encourage them to go do it. But so the difference is very, very uh, isn't isn't. It's really a matter of where and when. Well, it's I mean, what she said no, was very, very simple. As she was saying, you should riot. 
what she's inciting is love and respect and admiration and esteem for rioting in essence because yeah, yeah. she's almost doing it after the fact and saying it's good now that's that's uh it's not in so much incitement to riot it's building support public support for rioting in, sure. encouraging it yes and, and what and, QAnon appears to be doing is uh building up respect for uh donald trump nuking underground nests of cannibal pedophiles that's yeah. apparently that's apparently what QAnon is doing <laughs> well, which i and, think is, is really the fun part of the whole story i mean you have to no, it, it, you're right it, it is the funniest part of this um i i think i may have a future in comedy because i, I felt like this week and and we've been very serious in this podcast and we're very serious about all of these issues um you know we we like to have a good time but we're serious people um but this week, I think it was a little bit lighter. There were just some, just because some of this is so crazy, it's funny. And the, the, just the thought of Donald Trump, you know, kind of saying to the media, hey, what's so bad about this? I'm the hero finally in this, in this story. And I'm, you know, I'm fighting pedo pedophiles. I mean, who's on the pedophiles side? But folks should go to the website, this is commonsense.org and this is Q and an answer is the is the title of the piece. It's about QAnon. And find out who is it that might be on the side of the pedophiles. Uh so pedophile uh, cannibals. Let's get the cannibals yes, in there. Yes, yes. yes. I mean run right, right of the mill pedophiles. I mean, why would it even be a story? But when they're pedophile cannibals, that's uh that's news. All the news that's fit to print. And by the way, I've heard this, uh, this Q type of theory from radically different types of people. Um, I didn't take it seriously. Well, I didn't know anything about it two years ago. I mean, I was a little bit slow on the uptake. And, uh, but, uh, but I'm sorry I know anything about it now. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard fundamentalist Christians tell, tell me this stuff. And they believe that the pedophile, um, the pedophile cannibals are demons that are underground that are being nuked by the army and i've heard it from ufologists who believe they're aliens okay and and then there are the people who just believe there's something creepy going on <laughs> well, so yeah. there's, there's a there's a breath creepy going on but i don't think it has anything to do with any of that but but who knows that's well, the well all i know is that Jeff, jeffrey epstein didn't kill himself that's, that's i think that's probably true that's a uh, boy, boy, you just, you know. Uh, well, that's the reason QAnon isn't dismissed out of hand. I mean, you know, it, it sounds absolutely crazy, but we live in a time when that happened. I mean, what can you say? Yeah, yeah. That's a conspiracy well, of some sort. I don't know whose conspiracy, but it seems to be a conspiracy. Well, it's, you just cannot, you cannot have people die in your, in your custody. And uh, because, you know, maybe it's just an accident and, you know, an accident. Maybe he did so. But, you know, it uh, cover up, you know, when, when someone who has that much knowledge of what actually went on with all these different powerful people ends up dead, it's a, it's a problem. It's a 
big, big, big problem. Yeah. But here's here's another problem is Friday's uh, script. And, and the, 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 the script is about something good. It's ending what I think is a pretty serious uh, problem. Uh, and just a serious assault on people, uh, innocent people, and a misuse of tax dollars. And as I uh, foreshadowed, I think this, I think Trump will win a number of votes on this. And maybe the people who like it uh, would already vote for him. Uh, but I did not vote for Mr. Trump in 2016. And I have not decided to vote for him in 2020. Um, I'm not decided exactly how I will vote. Um, you know, just because I've considered different things. Uh, it might be different if Virginia looks to be competitive. Um, I might feel differently about it. I have my ballot. I could do it any time. Um, but this matters to me because it shows a willingness to, to fight forces that most people just let run wild. And that's the forces of, you know, anti-racism, virulent, racist, anti-racism. If you go to thiscommonsense.org and read Reluctant Retreat on Racism, it's about academia specifically and also government where they've had all these diversity training um, and, and you could have some training about diversity if you wanted to inform people about different peoples and cultures and ideas and so on. This is about attacking whiteness as some sort of evilness that is, it's just wrong. If you attacked any race, any religion, any ethnicity in this way, it is despicable and evil and wrong. And we have been forced to pay for it and to mass produce it in our government and in academia, which is our government, unfortunately. Um, and Donald Trump stood up and did something about it. And one of the things I always harp on is the post office and Donald Trump getting rid of the postal subsidy that allowed Chinese uh, manufacturers of different trinkets and stuff to ship them to the U.S. to sell for, for less money than it would cost a U.S. manufacturer to ship it across town. And, and it was a tiny little thing, kind of. I mean, who's ever heard of it? But president after president did nothing about it, and he stopped it. And I appreciate that tiny thing. This is bigger. This is about thousands of people being, in essence, brainwashed, didn't get sent to a concentration camp in Xinjiang, uh, uh, you know, province in China. Uh, don't, don't have to suffer like the Uyghurs, but the same concept that we are going to browbeat you in a racist way in which if you don't care about race, that's a sign of racism in which if you're against racism, but not against, not in favor of racism against your own race, you're a racist. It, it, it's, it's despicable and it, it undercuts the unity of the federal government or of universities or of our country. 
and and I'm not for a bunch of false kind of let's wave the flag unity. Um, I want 330 million, you know, individual autonomous people to live their lives the way they want to live them. Um, but but there's nothing about this sort of anti-white uh, uh, racism being taught and just institutionalized. This is institutional racism. And Donald Trump, with a stroke of a pen, and this is something that it seems to me is right for an executive order. And and this is it's it basically is teaching that America is a terrible place. And I'm not against teaching all of the the warts and the sins that our government primarily, but also our society, people outside of the government have done bad things. Let's not hide any of it. But let's not be ridiculous and and act like this is somehow the the most evil place that's ever existed in the history of mankind. It's one of the nicest places that's ever existed. I mean, we are awfully lucky to be living in this time and in this place. And I'm not telling anybody to stop complaining because one of the reasons we live in such a wonderful place is because we're free to complain and we should complain more, not just the government. Let's complain about technology. I won't go on a long rant. Tim knows Tim's a little better than, than I am at technology. So he knows I'm, I'm ranting and complaining years ago. I, I got a, a, a MacBook and, uh, and and Tim says, uh, "Oh, you'll you'll figure it out in no time." And and what did I say? I said, "I will. I'm sure I'll learn to hate it in no time." <laughs> and I did. But it, actually, I don't use it anymore. Uh, but I, I have some fond memories. It wasn't a bad piece of technology. I just always wanted more, faster, better, more. And well, then. That's the way our society, when people talk about energy and, you know, conservation and stuff, I want to use more energy tomorrow. I want more products, more things that do more stuff and run faster and better. And, and, and not necessarily we can do that environmentally nicely, but, but we ought to want more. Well, I think that uh, those who view this particular episode of This Week in Common Sense will agree with you that they would want a little bit more because we are having some bandwidth and audio and especially video artifact problems this time. So uh, they'll see me uh, inserting lots of images where they'll be wondering why, you know, on YouTube, why is there an image over Paul Jacob talking? And the reason is, is that for a minute and a half, Paul Jacob froze. And uh -huh. I, could just, I could just leave that. I've been watching you and uh, I've been listening to you. Most of it comes through loud and clear, but uh, there's a lot of frozen moments on this this particular uh, Zoom meeting, so that's yes. We and we haven't used Zoom. We've been using Skype mainly lately. But but uh, you also sometimes have just a little shakiness every like twenty seconds, maybe a little shakiness, which we we you know usually don't have. So yeah, I think maybe the problem is that uh, your iPhone has better video capacity than your old computer, which needs replacing. But yes. I don't think people really want to hear about your computer troubles. I mean, as much as we'd like to hammer them home over and over again. As much as there's deep sympathy, sympathy from the public. 
toward yeah. me and my computer and technical issues. They they probably have heard enough. Though well, maybe we could go over a GoFundMe or something and get get you a new computer because uh, yeah. we've been talking about this for a year and so far I haven't heard a new computer come through yet. No, I've looked, I've shopped, uh, which is which doesn't spur me on, but. But uh, no, you 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 know I've told you before, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast that I had this idea years ago. It was after watching uh, uh, Office Space. Is it Office Space? Is that the one that I think it is? Yes, uh, yes. Well, I know that there is an Office Space. It's a comedy about well, where yeah. they beat up a Xerox machine at some point. Yes, they take out a fax machine and take it out in the field and beat it with a baseball bat. And, and in the end, they're pulling the one guy off it. You know, it's just, it's enough, it's enough. And I thought, wouldn't that be a great show that you just, you ask people to suggest different office machines, the, the copier, the fax machine, the phone system, whatever. And you, you know, different people vote which one deserves to be smashed. And then at the end of each episode, you know, you smash the one that deserves most to be smashed. And then, you know, you talk about what, you know, next episode, some of the things that have been suggested so people can get their hopes up that maybe their most hated office uh, piece of equipment will later be pummeled on national television. Well, you do that. That would be a very good show, actually. I'm not joking. You actually have come up with a great idea. Uh, this is this is actually a marketable idea, at least even for a YouTube show. I mean, you could actually make a, a, this would be hilarious because people could you could interview people and people compete for the for the for the I mean, it could be very, very funny. You could kind of the stories behind. Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of. And it could be like like the office, uh, different comedy uh, TV show where, you know, you've got the interviews and then the. I, I, that could be, could be, we could, maybe we could combine it and we could, we could have a political thing where you'd have politicians and then you'd vote on which one got pummeled. No, no, you couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. Bad idea, Tim. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for bringing that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though if we get Maxine Waters to do it, maybe it'll work. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, we also had this week, uh, which, I have, you know, I've been traveling so much, I have not really had a chance to read very much about it, but the militia group that supposedly was going to kidnap Governor Whitmer in Michigan, and uh, that's not good. That's not good. So it'd be interesting to see what what comes out of that, because... Uh, well, she's a tyrant, like my governor's a tyrant. And I don't know what to say about Michigan because I don't, I don't live in Michigan. I do live in Washington State. And we are under still under elements of lockdown orders, not, not the complete. I, mean, we, I, go to, I go to a restaurant nearly every day and don't wear a mask. But uh, that being said, uh, we're supposed to be wearing masks and the businesses are commanded to insist that people wear masks indoors. And the whole thing is a command from the governor under emergency under emergency law there is no emergency in washington state there is no medical emergency you cannot make it even by the by the strictures they have given there is no emergency and it has to be illegal and i don't know why people aren't complaining more because it's 
I guess they're just so cowed into thinking that because there's an emergency somewhere else, there must be an emergency here. Right. There isn't. Well, there literally is. Oregon has even less, and Oregon is even more totalitarian than Washington State. I was in the I was I was in the car today and uh, and hit the wrong button on uh, uh, Spotify. Thanks, Jess, for the uh, Spotify. It's great. Uh, but anyway, I hit the wrong button and I got this daily. It, it's like songs, songs that I like, you know, that I've hit like on, so they know that I like them. And mixed up with different podcasts and different little news bits, and it, it was great. But there was a um, there was a news bit from the BBC, uh, like one minute news around the world, and all we hear about is how the U.S. has just you know the rest of the world's done really well with COVID, but the U.S. has just been a nightmare and just terrible, and no place has done as badly as the United States on COVID. And so in this minute thing, they went through the fact that it's spiking in Canada and that in Spain they have this problem and they've got, they went through all these different things. And of course, I've had a friend of mine has, has posted a bunch of things on, on Facebook that I caught. This was a week or so ago. He just went through all the different stories of revolts and protests and in some cases violent incidents surrounding the shutdowns in different European countries. And so, you know, I, and I can't point to a news story that said specifically that, hey, there hasn't been any problems in European countries. They've only been in the United States. But the whole tone of the news has been that pretty much the rest of the world is doing, you know, everything, everything pretty swimmingly. And all the problem is in the U.S. And of course, we are one fifth of the of the deaths or something far more than our percentage of the world population and so on. Never has it been suggested that some of that might be because being the wealthiest country in the world, at least of this size, you know, per capita, I think Switzerland's wealthier, um, but that we have a lot of travel. We have a lot of people traveling in and out. Like they say, after we shut down travel from China, there were still like 40,000 people who came in. Now, of course, they're United States citizens. Like, and, and that was another thing. When that was first reported, it was reported as if they just let 40,000 Chinese folks uh, fly in. You know, they probably all CCP, you know, operatives. In reality, it was, of course, people coming back who had either a green card or probably were citizens of the United States. And, you you know, was, was Trump supposed to shut them out? No. So. Um, Anyway, it, it's, it was illuminating to just hear story after story and realize you never hear these stories. If I hadn't been listening to that little BBC thing, in the American media, you're not going to hear any of those stories. There's reason to believe that around the world, many governments are not reporting the full number of cases and deaths because like china for instance do we right. believe have any reason to believe they're telling the truth no we don't have any reason to believe that also there's a lot of reason to believe that many of the cases of deaths in america the united states are overcounted because we're paying people to count them that is right. the hospitals get, get money more money if they count it as a COVID death rather than as some other death if a person was you know it has, it has a bad condition, you know, there's many comorbidities 
comorbidities and uh, that really does affect the count and we don't really know what to make of all that there is still a lot of not known when it comes to this disease yes uh, and i don't want to pretend that that's not true uh, though i don't wear the mask anymore uh. <laughs> there's also there's just an element of it's just it's just disgusting to to use these deaths as you know some sort of political weapon and and obviously you know if if someone makes a mistake you can point out that oh you should have done this instead of this um but but you don't have to act like somehow these deaths are you know they're trump's fault or you know and and cuomo in new york did some things sending folks to nursing homes that were really not good moves. But I don't think he did it because he like likes people to die. And he, you know, I kind of think he was trying to do the best job he could do. And, and it means that maybe you don't say, hey, he did the greatest job ever, because he didn't. But you, it just would be wrong to suggest that those people's deaths are, you know, that he's responsible for them. For one, they, they could have caught this, you know, even if some of those people didn't come in. And, and to suggest especially that somehow the president is responsible for 210,000 people who died of this, many of whom had the kind of cor co comorbidities that they could have caught the flu or something else and died as well. And, and just that you don't suggest that about people. I mean, what do we get for that? If, if, if we can convince a large segment of the population that somehow Governor Cuomo is just a murderer or Trump is like a murderer for his bad you know, decision-making on, on this, it, do we have a better country? I mean, is, it, is, it, it, is the reason that people are, who, who don't like Trump don't like him is because he made mistakes in, in judging COVID? Or haven't they hated him from day one? And in essence, COVID is, a, is an excuse to say that, look at all these deaths. Well, it's obviously the latter. I mean, we, we know yeah. that's the case. And I think that a lot of people understand this. Though I don't know, people seem so crazy about COVID and I don't really understand why. But then of course, I have a completely different view of government than nearly everybody else seems to have. And I think you may be on my, my yes. wavelength and that is, the government isn't here to protect us from disease. It's here to defend our rights. And uh, that's what I really wanted to do. And our rights, and it's up to us to try to protect ourselves from disease right. and, and, co and uh, cooperate with various institutions and other individuals to help us you know, not die. I don't expect any governor or any president to save me from a disease, but a lot right. of Americans do. And I think that really skews how everybody's thinking about this issue. And it bugs me because I think it's just expecting way too much from government. And when you expect too much from government, what you're going to get is frustrated. And I think that's one of the reasons people are crazy is that they can't help but be crazy if you expect the government to save you and the government can't. Well, and and when the government's supposed to plan ahead for all kinds of contingencies that happen all the time, they don't do a very good job. When you're expecting government to have planned for some pandemic of some virus that, that didn't exist before, you know, that's not something that government's going to do well. The f truth be told, it's not something that anybody does very well.
is to plan ahead for stuff that almost never happens. Right. So. Right. Can you imagine what would happen if a really bad disease came along? This isn't that bad of a disease. Yes. I mean, this is not anything like the Spanish flu, which was much worse. And there are, we can imagine much worse diseases coming through and we probably will see them. No, we sure could. And, and I wonder, I wonder, uh, I don't know that the shutdown impulse was due to Trump. I don't think it really was. I think that's, it's fear and let's, you know, somehow we close everything down. And it wasn't, I think, very well thought out because, of course, the original argument was it was just to, to flatten the curve. And then it became, well, we may shut down for the rest of, you know, mankind's existence, um, which, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is an issue that really bugs me because I think that it's, you're understating the case, is that the lockdowns were a pernicious idea, that, that it should ever have been accepted by a free people is uh, or horror and we are well, living through what may be one of the worst things ever happened in American history and half of Americans probably three quarters are on board and this is actually I think yeah I don't know it's it's really disappointing to me and I didn't it, have much I didn't have much high expectations for Americans in the first place so this is not big for me no I I think the uh the the idea that they could just do this and under some emergency law or something, because there's no emergency law you can write that suspends the constitution in my, in my view of it. And uh, there's nothing in the constitution that says, Oh, by the way, if there's an emergency, you can suspend these parts. And that's our agreement with government. So it, it is these, these lockdowns have been scary. Although you can imagine a situation where you have some incredibly deadly and contagious disease this appears to be very contagious. It doesn't appear to be very deadly. And, uh, and so you could see where they could shut things down and you'd have a tiny, tiny fraction of anybody who was complaining. And if they were complaining and ran out and said, I'm not going to do that. Of course it was that deadly and that contagious, they'd be dead pretty quick. And then everyone would go, okay, I think we're okay with, you know, in other words, you wouldn't have to lock down for the most part. People would, in freedom, people are going to treat risks as risks and, and act accordingly. But what I was going to say about, uh, I don't think the lockdowns were some secret conspiracy. Let's push Trump to lock down so we can take away all his uh, good economy and different issues like that. I do think that the chicken little sky is falling attitude about it has been hyped and and the, the impetus behind that has been this needs to be a disaster for trump we need this to be a disaster we can use this to hurt him politically and that is imperative that we do that so i don't i don't know that it was some big conspiracy but i think it it is in the media's interest since they hate donald trump to use this as a big weapon against him well, that's certainly true. I mean, I agree with that. Is and Democrats also saw the opportunity. It's an opportunistic panic, uh, or as uh, it turns out, um, Michael Knowles referred to it: "Is it a pandemic or a dim panic?" And uh, that, was, that was his joke. It's, 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 that is actually the best pun from the whole thing. That is uh, good. That's a great pun. I never, I didn't see it until recently, uh, but uh, but the point is that I don't know 
how deep a conspiracy is involved because they, there are groups of people with a lot of power who are pushing the Great Reset. And they, they know that the economic system we're living under, the financial system we live under now is not sustainable, that there was going to be a crash otherwise. And so they're preparing for a sort of a reset. And I don't know how pernicious this is or how rational it is, or maybe it's a good thing. I doubt if it's a good thing because it's done by those people who, don't, who aren't very transparent. But, uh, but I want to say something for Q here too. I have no evidence to disprove QAnon. We've, we've dis, <laughs> we've, we have debunked the disproving of, of uh, QAnon. Yeah. There's no evidence that it's not true. Right. It's probably not, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean I have Well, no, they have to search every bit of the galaxy and yeah. prove that it's not yeah. there. Though QAnon, like many uh, prophecies, you uh, do have a timeline that will disprove certain things. Because there have been talks about what, you know, in the QAnon literature and all the tweets and everything, they're saying what's actually happening now. Uh, you know, secret arrests, uh, there's all these prosecutions. Well, if they don't happen by the end of, by the end of uh, 2020, I can say that QAnon, most of their theories have gone down. So this is actually, that's something we should actually remind people is that we can actually see a conspiracy debunked by itself, by its own lack of true prophecies Pro right. you know the prophecy being incorrect oh, like the guy who predicted the world was going to end and then it didn't out. happen yeah so so and i like a prophecy that actually has a falsifiability test and i want to i want to encourage people to make their prophecies in falsifiability criteria it should come with a little seal of approval kind of like uh, underwriters laboratory it'll be this is a this is a you know a prophecy that you could test exactly so we so certainly by uh, inaugural day if uh, if there haven't been mass arrests for pedophile rings uh, uh featuring uh nancy pelosi and joe biden and all these people i i would say that QAnon is probably not true cannibal uh, ice cream eaters there we are. There you are. Uh, well, well, on that note, we should probably allow people to uh, go back to their regularly scheduled lives. And, uh, and uh, we've enjoyed talking, bannering with, uh, with each other. And uh, we'll be here next week. And can I call it uh, cannibal ice cream eaters? Yes, yes, you can. <laughs>